Bonjour. I'm Terrence Galente, your American friend in Paris, coming to you almost live and almost every week from Café Terrence in Paris's Troisième Arrondissement. This program is being sponsored by a generous contribution from the Billy Cohn Collection. On the line with me from Chicago is uh, Sylvia Fotti, uh, author, journalist, school teacher. Uh, and author most recently of uh, The Nazi's Granddaughter. Sylvia, welcome to Paris. Thank you, Terrence. I'm happy to be here. <clears throat> yeah, delighted to have you. Uh, you know, uh, I read the book. It uh, touched me in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, I'd like to get a little background, if you can, on, on Lithuania. I remember as a, a teenager, I had a, a stamp collection, and we had the Baltic states, Estonia, Latvia, and <laughs> Lithuania. Uh, we, and that and and uh, and Vitus Garolitis is about where my knowledge of uh, Lithuania began and ended. So, just as a little background for the story, tell us a little in, in brief Lithuania 101. What is Lithuania? What distinguishes Lithuania then and perhaps now? Uh, <clears throat> Lithuania uh, is a really small country in Europe, uh, next to the Baltic Sea. Uh, it had been occupied uh, for much of its, its existence, one way or the other. Uh, came into being around the 1300s. Um, last for 300 years, occupied by Germany, Poland, Russia. Then in 1918, it finally got its independence on February 16th. So huge celebration always in Lithuania. And uh, it kept its independence until 1940, World War II. So in that mm -hmm. interim, my, my parents were born during those years of independence. Um, and then after that, after 1940, it was occupied by the Soviet Union, occupied by the Nazi Germans, then reoccupied by the Soviet Union, uh, under which it remained occupied for 50 years again. And uh, that's, that's when I was born, during the occupation of the Soviet Union. I was born in Chicago. And uh, then it finally regained its independence again in 1990. Well, in effect, you, you were born in Lithuania, Marquette Park, <laughs> uh, the, the second largest Lithuanian population in the world after Vilnius. Yeah, I felt like I was born in Lithuania. The, the Lithuanian community really tried to recreate a little Lithuania, like a bubble, and it was uh, very insular. You know, I only spoke Lithuanian uh, for my first five years of existence in the United States of America. I went to uh, finally... How do you say I love you in Lithuanian? Ashtavamilu. Okay, sounds good to me. Okay. <laughs> You are you are in France. <laughs> I, well, oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's my image of a Frenchman. <laughs> yeah, I, I've adapted. I mean, for you know, for a Jewish kid from Brooklyn, I, I've better, I've done a little metamorphosis. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I want to come back to this. Uh, you know, come back to well, we're going to talk a little bit about Jews because they they figure so prominently in in, in the story. Uh, I have Litvak blood. For those who don't know, Litvak was a Jewish Lithuanian uh, on my grandfather's side, but that we were already uh, second generation born in Brooklyn. So pretty much a lot of that, had, except for the Yiddish, had gone out of them. 
talk a little bit about the relationship between Lithuanians and Jews, uh, especially since 95% of us died in, in, in the Shoah in, in Lithuania. What is it? I, I, I mean, it's a hard question to answer. What What is it about the relationship between Jews and Lithuania, maybe somewhat like the Poles and the Jews, that made that so uh, so difficult? The Jews um, found refuge in Lithuania about 700 years ago. You know, they were they were a wandering people in Europe, and uh, they found refuge in Lithuania. So 700 years ago, Lithuania welcomed them. Then um, Jews kept themselves separate from Lithuanians, and I guess Lithuanians kept themselves separate from the Jews. So they were really like in parallel worlds in the same land. Um, and I think, you know, they were each suspicious of each other. Um, and I think what happened by the time it became 1930, uh, the Jews were quite successful in Lithuania. You know, business people, artisans, very creative, very intelligent. And the Lithuanian people in, you know, in general are a peasant population. And uh, there was a lot of uh, envy toward the Jews and suspicion and mistrust. And then, uh, you know, I guess the wave of anti-Semitism uh, became much stronger in the 1930s. I, I think it was always there, but it really came to the fore in the 1930s with the with Hitler and Mein Kampf and you know all the conspiracy theories and um, and there were uh, about two hundred thousand Jews in Lithuania and when um, World War II broke. By that point, so much hatred had uh, fomented in Lithuania, among Lithuanians. Somehow, uh, the horrible rumor came up that every single Jew was a communist, including the babies and the grandmothers, and that they're all the enemy. So that was one of the uh, worst rumors that affected Jews, uh, on top of all the other uh, antipathies i think that they had to deal with just to interrupt you was there a group like the arrow cross or the iron uh the iron guard in in romania in uh, in lithuania i don't know okay these were like the local if you will fascist groups within the uh, within the country itself that that adopted uh hitler's uh, ideas um not, okay. no i don't think i don't think that <clears throat> blatantly uh, there, there was a group uh, called the Lithuanian Activist Front, of which uh, my grandfather was a part, and that group did embrace the annihilation of Jews in Lithuania. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about Jonas Noreka, not to be confused with uh, uh, Noriega, uh, your, your grandfather whom you never met. Uh, talk about your mother on her deathbed and what she uh, communicated that you had to do. Yeah. Um, I grew up, you know, very Lithuanian, uh, adoring my grandfather, Jonas Noreka. Uh, and um, he was known as a World War II hero who fought bravely against the communists. Um, and that's all I knew. So I knew that uh, he died in a KGB prison where he was tortured for two years by the terrible communists. 
And he was caught by the communists um, because he was trying to mastermind a rebellion against the communists. All Lithuania wanted was its independence and its freedom. And uh, the communists wouldn't allow that. So, um, so he died at the age of 36. Uh, he was a captain in the army, but um, when he was leading this uh, rebellion against the communists in 1945-46, he, he gave himself a code name of General Storm. <clears throat> so um, in Lithuania, it's General Vetra. And um, so, so a lot of people know him today by his code name, General Storm. But in effect, he was really, you know, a captain. But like I, you know, was explaining in, in my book, The Nazi's Granddaughter, um, my mom was dying uh, in the year 2000. At that time, I was at the tender age of 38 years old. And, you know, uh, two children, young children. I was a journalist at the time. And my mom uh, is actually on her deathbed and at, only at the age of 60. So she, she calls me over and says, Sylvia, you have to write the book. And, um, you know, I still wasn't accepting the fact that she was dying. Uh, I, I was not prepared for it. And so I said, no, 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 you're going to write the book. And she said, no, you have to. Everybody expects it. And so um, I said, yes. And then I came back the next day and she was in a coma. And that was that. I hear I was with this as she died two weeks later, 2000. And um, so here I was with this insane deathbed promise. And so very ever so slowly, I, you know, I went to my parents' house. My, you know, my father was there left alone and uh, started collecting all the materials she had collected on my grandfather. She had collected for 40 years stuff on my grandfather, including the KGB transcripts uh, of all of his interrogations. And there were 3,000 pages in Russian, of which I do not speak. And uh, but my, my mother had them translated into Lithuanian. And so, you know... So that was, you know, just a big treasure trove of information. And um, he spent two years in a Nazi concentration camp. And uh, while he was the, in Stutthof, and while he was there, he wrote 77 letters to my grandmother. And my mom had these. And they were written in German. And she asked my grandmother to translate them in Lithuanian. And while he was in that Nazi concentration camp, he wrote a fairy tale for my mother. Uh, she was at the, you know, the age of five or six when she was getting these letters from her father from this Nazi concentration camp. And uh, so um, I had that fairy tale. In fact, in the 90s, I had translated that fairy tale into English and had gotten it published um, in a Lithuanian journal. But... Um, You know, I'm slowly, slowly, slowly collecting all this information and putting it together. And then it's July. And now I'm, I visit my grandmother. And uh, she had 
a heart attack. She was in her 80s. She had survived my mother still. And of course, she was very depressed. We were all still very depressed uh, over the death of my mother. And um, she calls me to her bedside and takes my hand and says, what's going on with the book? And I said, don't worry, Mochita, which means grandmother. Uh, I'm going to write it. Uh, you know, I'm young. I'm not going to let it go the way mom did. So rest assured, I'm, I'm going to get it done. And, and then she says, don't write the book. Just let history lie. There's no, re there's no reason to dig around. And I, and I did not know everything I know now. And I said, what do you mean don't write the book? And, uh, and, she's, and, she, and I said, of course I have to write the book. I promised mom five months ago on her deathbed. How can I not write the book? And she saw my resolve and she didn't like my answer. And then she turned over in bed and faced the wall and, you know, gave me her back. And, and I knew that that was the end of that conversation. Do you, do you think that your mother knew what you would ultimately discover? And this was going to be a, pardon me, a journey for you of discovery? Or was she expecting you to write a, somewhat of a hagiography? Yeah, I think she expected a hagiography. Um, that's, that's, I think, you know, as, as I get into the Nazi's granddaughter, I think she knew or had her, I think she had she must have heard the rumor what I what I was calling the rumor for many years, um, but she had discounted it, and so I I think she only expected me to write you know a glowing biography of of her father. Well, you know as I as I read the book, not only did this take you ten years, twenty, God, an twenty, enormous uh, twenty <laughs> part of your uh, part of your life. But you uh, wound up taking loans to get a teacher's certificate so you could finance this. Uh, I mean, I, I guess deathbed promises in Lithuania must be stronger than they are here in, in New York or, or Brooklyn or Paris. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have, I, you know, don't make me make a promise because you might be sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I would say no. I did definitely may definitely ask you to make a promise if it redounds to my benefit. Absolutely. I'm not totally foolish. What uh, talk a little bit about the uh, because more than just this story, he was venerated in Lithuania as this extraordinary patriot with the plaque and, and that whole backstory. Uh, so talk about the uh, Jonas Noryeka that everyone knew about then, and the Jonas Noryeka that you discovered in this 20-year odyssey. Yeah. So um, essentially, I uncovered a grand lie. And um, in 1997, when my mom, you know, was still alive, and my brother and I went with her to Lithuania, and she received a, this grand medal, the Cross of the Vitists, which is the highest honor any Lithuanian could ever receive posthumously. And she, and she received it on the behalf of her um, father. And my brother and I were, were standing next to her and... The president at the time, Brazauskas, you know, was conferring this uh, grand medal to her. And we were all just gaga-eyed. And, and, you know, it was a very wonderful, beautiful moment. And um, the reason he had gotten this medal was for all his heroism in Lithuania. And uh, for leading that rebellion uh, during the second Soviet occupation. 
and for leading uh, a rebellion in the first Soviet occupation in 1941. Yeah, all of which would, would, would be true. So the dichotomy is kind yeah, of... Yeah, it's true. He did do that. That part's true. Yeah, he was heroic yeah. in that sense. And that, right. But they, they hid the other side of the story, and which was, which was? Um, that he was responsible for uh, murdering or playing a part in murdering 8,000 Jews during the Holocaust in Lithuania. And, um, you know, as I explained in The Nazi's Granddaughter, um, it took me over almost 10 years to get to the point where I even wanted to investigate the rumor of, of, of what I thought, you know, what I was calling a rumor. Because after I heard this whispering of, uh, and the way I heard it was rather dramatic too. It was, you know, in the school named after him. Um, so anyway, um, I discovered uh, documents even here at home at the age of 22 he wrote a brochure called uh, Raise Your Head Lithuanian. And he was in the army at the time already. And it was 1933. And I believe that he must have read Mein Kampf by then, which had come out in 1926. And I think uh, he was, you know, impressed by that document. And he wrote his own version of the Mein Kampf in 1933 at the age of 22. And, um, you know, when I came across this document, I just could not believe that my grandfather had written this. And uh, it, it's, it just said a lot of horrible things. You know, we need to keep Lithuania for Lithuanians and we need to get, uh, not, we need to boycott anything from the Jews. Um, it's not fair that the Jews, you know, have all the best positions in Lithuania and they have all the money in Lithuania and that they're running the country and, uh, we need to just stop this. So anyway, 32 pages of this. And, um, when I finished reading that document, I just, I just couldn't, you know, I, I still, <laughs> you know, I, I look back on myself then and I still, came up with an excuse just like all Lithuanians do I think and I still went into denial because it, and I, the way I convinced myself is well it was only 1933 he was only 22 and he didn't really call for the killing of Jews um and so it was after I read that I started I started to think maybe I'll just exonerate him and uh, you know I'm going to get to the bottom of this and prove that uh, he had nothing to do with killing Jews. So that, that um, as naive as I was, it at least pushed me in the right direction of investigating that part of the story. Um, and when I really, really finally put my mind to looking at the Nazi occupation in Lithuania, I saw that there was really very little written about this by the Lithuanians. The Lithuanians spent a lot of time talking about the Soviet occupation, uh, you know, from 18, 1918 to 1940, and then and then talked about the uprise, this five-day uprising against the Soviets. Uh, lots and lots of information on that. And then um, 1945, 
1945, when the Soviets came in again to react, lots of information there. But this period from 41 to 43, 44, hardly anything. Did you get a lot of blowback from uh, when you went to Lithuania? The people not wanting Well, when I went in 2013, you know, nobody knew me, really. And I, th and I guess looking, like, if I had gone, if I would come now, you know, they all know me now. But I was kind of under the radar. And I, I still didn't know what I would find. And they said, nobody knew what I would find. And, I, and I, I was very open with it. I said, you know, I'm writing a book about my grandfather. And I really want to focus on the Nazi occupation. And I've heard this rumor that he's involved in killing Jews. And I really want to focus on that period. I was like, okay, you know, thinking I'm not going to find anything or I, I don't know what they thought. So nobody really, everybody was very friendly to me and quite open. Um, and so at that time I was, I was received well. Uh, you know, when I went into 2000, it was a really big deal because we were burying my mother and my grandmother and, you know, we were met with Lithuania's first president, uh, Landsbergis, and he was at the funeral, and so it was, you know, a much grander trip. But when I went in 2013, it was a very, very quiet trip. It was just me. Uh, I was there for seven weeks. As you said, by that point, I had to switch careers from journalism to uh, teaching because I had no time to write the story as a journalist. Well, what level are you teaching? Um, high school, freshmen and seniors. So, um, so anyway, um, you know, another thing that I mentioned, uh, in the Nazi's granddaughter is that, um, I, I ended up hiring a Holocaust guide. Simon, I was going to ask you about Simon. So, yeah. um, I mean, how many Jews are left in Lithuania? Two to 3,000. And and it's funny they call themselves the five percent, the five uh, descendants <laughs> oh, yeah. of the five percent that survived. I remember I asked a friend of mine who was more, a fairly young girl, born in Germany. I said, you know, Claudia, didn't you didn't you date any Jewish men? She says, Terrence, yeah. there weren't many left. Kind of <laughs> runs the same way. But uh, talk talk about Simon because he lost family. It's it's conceivable that your grandfather was responsible for the death of part of his family, and that. There you yeah, is that, that is true. Um, I guess, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to backtrack and explain how I found Simon. Uh, I'm in Chicago sure. and still getting ready for this trip for 2013. And I have a friend here uh, in Chicago, Howard Walensky, who at the time was a journalist for the Sun-Times. And he's Jewish. Mm -hmm. And um, he gave me a call. And he just had come back from a trip to Lithuania, and he said he took a Holocaust tour. And I said, what's a Holocaust tour? And he said, well, it's where, you know, you hire a Holocaust guy, and he takes you to all the places where he thinks your relatives might be buried. And I said, oh, my God, that sounds terrible. <laughs> and I said, you paid for this? <laughs> and he said, Yeah. And, he, and I said, I can't believe this is even a thing in Lithuania. I've never heard of such a thing. And he said, I know a lot of Jews do this. It's, it, is, it is in a way terrible, but it's also very beautiful. It's the way we do to remember and, and keep the memory of our relatives alive. And I was 
and Lithuania yes. and Bobby Yar. Yes. And um, so anyway, we hung up and I was extremely impressed by what he said. And I kept, you know, imagining poor Howard and his, you know, U.S. family going from mud pit to mud pit, looking at, you know, just dirt, trying to imagine what happened to their relatives during the Holocaust in Lithuania. And then a few days later, I call Howard and I said, Howard, I had this, I have this really crazy idea. And he said, okay. And I said, what do you think if I hire Simon as my Holocaust guide to take me on a tour of Lithuania where he believes Jonas Nareka was responsible for killing Jews? And Howard said, oh, my God, that's so crazy. It's really good. <laughs> and I said, do you think Simon will do it? He said, I don't know. This is, this is big. I mean, you know, granddaughter of a perpetrator, I don't know. But he connected me, and I got Simon's email, and I uh, connected with Simon. And Simon at first was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I can do this. I shot a photograph. He looks like a jolly yes. little guy. So to his credit, a few days later, he said, he, you know, a few weeks later maybe, he said yes. Because he started really looking into my grandfather, and he said, "You know, your grandfather is a very amazing man. Um, he's really good looking, very you know charismatic, oh, very and much, and yeah. just the you know the juxtaposition of that with the horror of what he did, you know, just just makes him this contradictory man that I guess I would like to know more about." And and I said, "Great, let's do it." So so part of my trip was um, with Simon, which I think was one of the most profoundest part of the trip, where uh, he he did so much um, research on my grandfather before I even showed up. And he really planned the tour in, in this beautiful way to kind of educate me about the Holocaust in Lithuania. As much reading as I had done by that point, I still didn't know you know, as well as he did, of course. He is the director, he was the director of the um, Sukihara Museum in Kaunas. Yeah, I'm glad you, I was, that was my next, I wanted to parenthetically talk about Sukihara, which was kind of amazing. Why don't you, why don't you talk about this? Yeah, he was a Japanese diplomat who was posted in Lithuania during the Holocaust, you know, it ended up being during the Holocaust. And many Jews came up with him because Jews could not, leave the country. As much as Lithuanians hated them, they wouldn't let them leave. And if they tried to leave, nobody would take them. You, you know, all the doors were closed to them. And sure. uh, Sugihara was a Japanese diplomat who very quickly understood what was going on. And he started to give out visas to uh, many Jews. In contravention of all of the protocols from yeah, Japan was really upset with him for doing this. And then he started just giving them out illegally to Jews. Were there about 5,000? Yeah, I don't, I, I, yeah, something like that. Yeah, something incredible. Yeah. That was amazing. But come back to Simon and your, and your, your, should we uh, give a, a website address for Simon and start booking? Well, Simon tours? died uh, a couple years ago. Uh. So his his health, you know, I kept in touch with him after I came back. Um, and around 15, 16, his health took a turn for the worse. And then um, I think in it was in 19 or 20, I think 19, December of 19, that he, that he died. So he's not there. 
What, what's been the reaction uh, from your students since the publication of the book, or maybe they were aware of what Well, the Nazi's granddaughter has not been published yet. It's only coming out March 9th. Oh, I mean, I've, just, I've read it in yeah, the galley. Yeah, you, okay. you got the special galley. <laughs> okay. That's right. It's not, it's not even published. Oh, um, so, okay. but, um, you know, I've been getting a lot of publicity, and I'm sharing that with students. And I started, I started getting a lot of publicity in 2018, uh, when I came out with the story and uh, in salon.com. And then after that, I started getting a lot of media interviews. And I would, um, you know, I was so excited with my students in class that I'd be like, so do you want to watch this uh, video of me on BBC or do you want to study vocabulary? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> no, you, 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 you took the class in, in media. What? As you took the class in media, you're supposed to always mention something at least three times. I've I've heard the Nazi a Nazi granddaughter at least seven or eight times. So you're doing Thank your you. job properly. Whoever schooled you on how to sell books, Thank you. Did you. A good job. Well, my publish my publisher's and PR person said I have to do that, and I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. Well, you're following you're following her instructions or his instructions. her, yeah, absolutely. Uh, just I want to finish up. Uh, when it's all said and done, was this Odyssey worth it to you? Would you do it again, I guess, is the question. I, I would. I, I didn't know what I signed up for. Uh, and every time I tried to drop the project many, many times when I started finding out about the horrors about my grandfather. But um, I am very glad I did it. Um, I think the truth does need to come out. You know, when I started this, I didn't even know about the Holocaust in Lithuania myself. I had never, I knew about it in Germany. I knew about it in Poland, but I didn't, I didn't even know what happened in Lithuania. And, um, so, so, um, I was shocked that there even was a Holocaust in Lithuania because nobody talked about it. That was a big secret. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the, the Poles get all the credit for killing the Jews. Uh, but clearly, uh, you know, the Lithuanians had a hand. Oh, it. yes. So, so, you know, what I discovered is, yes, the Nazis gave the orders. That is completely true. And, of course, the Holocaust would never have happened without them. But there were, they had, they had a, a lot, lot of help, of help uh, everywhere. Everywhere. And, and they only sent a thousand Nazis to Lithuania because, you know, they were busy fighting the war, uh, uh, you know, in Russia. And, um, and so to, to round, to, first of all, to identify, to round up, to put in a ghetto, and then to put in front of a, a gun, a thousand people cannot do that for 200,000 Jews. They had a lot, a lot of help with Lithuanians. And many Lithuanians shot the Jews as well. No, the Einsatzgruppen, yeah, they actually, there were not, there were no gas chambers. They just dug pits and shot them. It was not terribly efficient, but they got the right. job done. Right, they were, they were that zealous. They were not efficient, but they were zealous. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah so amazing. very sad. So the pub date in this book again I'm sorry? Is, the the public date, date publication is, date of the Nazi's granddaughter is March 9th. March the 9th. Okay. Well, this will this will post prior to that. Make sure that all of your students read it. Sign up for my newsletter. Stay on the line when I hang up. I want to talk to you a little bit privately. And uh, tell me you love me. Lithuania. <laughs>
Sylvia, <laughs> mazel tov, as we say. My guest has been Sylvia Foti, author of The Nazi's Granddaughter. And Sylvia, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been great. Thank you for joining us. And please share your comments and suggestions at Terrence at Paris-Expat.com. That's T-E-R-R-A-N-C-E at Paris-E-X-P-A-T.com. And visit Paris-Expat.com to sign up for my five weekly newsletters about the City of Light. Until next time, à bientôt à Paris.